congregation in a moment will be turning to Matthew chapter 8. Maybe you heard this all last week. Reverend Musker was preaching from Matthew 8 as well. But in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we've had the sermon on Mount Capernaum. Not the sermon on Mount Sinai, but you're seeing and hearing of Jesus preaching the law of God, the law from Christ, the law of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 has ended And the sermon has come to an end, and then it will get into the works of the Lord Jesus. But now we we have this as the background, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it all was an awesome sermon. Awesome. I don't use that word every day, but whatever Jesus preached was awesome and the ground shook. It was different than Mount Sinai. It was Mount Capernaum, wherever the Sermon on the Mount was preached. And so we turn to the Word of God and like to read the closing words of the sermon of the Lord Jesus, and it's verses 24 of chapter 7. This is how Jesus ends his sermon. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, just a moment, when have you ever heard a prophet say, listen to me? Moses never did that. Isaiah never did that. They said, listen to God. And now you have Jesus who says, you've heard whoever hears these words, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, as in you just heard them, but you don't put them into practice, you do nothing with them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had finished, ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. Next in Matthew, we have the works of Jesus Christ. You've had the words, but now you have the works of authority that proves this is no one like they've ever had in the history of Israel. This is God himself. And so, chapter 8, we turn to the word of God, Matthew 8. When he had come down from the mountain, and great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, to your, go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, this centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. 
The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now when he got into the boat, and brothers and sisters, here begins our text. When they got into a boat, uh, I was wrong, it's coming up, not yet. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? We get the answer coming in our text here. Who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? And we turn to the word of God as our text we're focusing on this morning. When he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes. I got a little footnote there. You do too, right? Gergesenes. Um, there's different words, Gadarenes, Gerasenes. Um, this is a region of Israel. You might have a map in your Bible, but this is a region, and you don't really know how to name that region, just like Owen Sound and Chatsworth. And you kind of depends on where you're from. If you're from Denver, Colorado, you'd say Owen Sound, but really, where are you staying? And you could be way more specific about where I am. And so you have all these different names for that place. But let's be clear. There's the Sea of Galilee and then the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And you know this, that something's wrong with Israel at that time when Jesus arrives. 
Because you've heard about the Samaritans, right? Not everyone in Israel is a Jew. And you have these half-breed Jews. They're called Samaritans. And they're looked down on as messed up Jews. Well, you get even worse on this side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not Samaritans. These are all out Gentiles, unbelievers. And so this is why we read about some pigs or swine. Because this side of the land of Israel has been given over to unbelief and to the devil. When he had come to the other side, it says in verse 28, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Thus ends our reading this morning. May the Lord add his blessing to the preaching of the word and the explanation of what we have heard. After the sermon, we're going to be singing Hymn 81. Congregation, I'm sure you've heard in some way, maybe there are movies or books, they reference the dark side. I wonder if you've heard of the dark side. It's the enemy side. A side of darkness and evil. This morning, We're virtually going into the boat with the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to the dark side with the Lord Jesus. And this morning, if you're going to follow along, you'll see that the king enters this territory of darkness and we're going to watch what happens because he pushes the darkness back. The light, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pushes the darkness back and he miraculously heals two men And he's giving us a preview of what happens on Judgment Day. Because darkness seems to survive a lot in this world. But there's a day coming when Christ will be coming with the clouds. The king will come into this territory. He's crossing over from no man's land into enemy territory, into darkness. And his enemies, even today, his enemies are terrified. And for good reason. And we're being shown this story. We're hopping in that boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee, getting to this side, following the Lord Jesus, because we're going to see the point that Christ has ultimate authority. What He says happens. 
lot of people think that uh, Christians are people that hold certain truths. You know, you're a Christian, you believe in sin, you believe in forgiveness, you know that God exists. You accept Jesus in your heart as your personal Savior, and there's truth to that. But listen to what Jesus is teaching here. Because we have heard Him end the Sermon on the Mount. And everything hinges, not just on hearing, not just on knowing, because you can know truths. When all of this hinges, and Jesus has finished with life and death, heaven and hell, and it starts with His Word. And He's had two houses at the end of that Sermon on the Mount. One on sand and one on rock. He's had His sermon end with two trees. One with good fruit, one with bad fruit. Two ways. One was a broad way that led to destruction. One a narrow way that leads to life. But either you hear and do something with it, or you hear and you put it in your back pocket and live as you have. Jesus says, you hear my words and do it. So today we get out of the boat and we enter this realm of darkness. Enemy of God territory this is. Unclean territory. I, I hope you notice all of the uncleanness mentioned here. Demons. Tombs. Like tombs. Graveyards. Death, pigs, Gentiles. And we'll see that even the enemies of God, they know truths about God. They know the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ being the Son of God, but they refuse. This is what makes them an enemy. They refuse to do anything with the Word of God that they know to be true. They refuse to love God. They refuse to worship God, to thank God. And we're given a dramatic conclusion at the end of this chapter. Dramatic. Move on, Jesus. We're fine. Can you please go somewhere else? Let me summarize this message. The words of James might come to your mind too. You people believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. James 2 verse 19. And the message I'm bringing is even the demons recognize the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. Even the demons recognize the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go through three points here. First, confession. Then consequence and then choice. The confession we look at, first of all, is the truth. Not a confession of life and godliness, but just the truth that the demons admit to. And I want to give you some background to this. Because here's Matthew, there's Mark and Luke as well recording this, but Matthew's audience is typically Jewish, and he expects Jews to know some of these things he's writing about, places, times, even. You know, events, and he shortened a lot compared to what Mark and Luke do. And unique to Matthew, you might say, oh, look, how does this happen? There's another man here. Now, Mark and Luke don't mention a second person, but Matthew definitely wants to mention the other person because his Jewish audience knows by the, the strength of two or three witnesses something is established. So he goes out of his way to refer to, let's say, somebody who's quieter, 
that uh, wasn't mentioned in Mark or Luke. And more background information before we get going here. Something the people just knew back then was this demonic activity. Verse 28, two demon-possessed men met him. coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass their way. And I kind of shy away from most translations like this, uh, demon-possessed, demon-oppressed. That's that's better. I I, I prefer demon-oppressed. It's a little bit better. But to be like the original language is to be ambiguous. I won't tell you what it means. It says demonized. Something that we have to guess at what it means a bit demonized and there's a whole I, I warn you about this there's a whole preoccupation with demon possession exorcism and it fascinates people and I want to say two things before we get to this point the point I'm getting at one is that demon activity at the time of the Lord Jesus stood out it it spiked if you're graphing it this has gone exponentially up crazy levels to confront the Lord Jesus so that's something from 2,000 years ago. And secondly, the demons demonize. And what does that mean? What do demons do? If they oppress, or if they occupy, or if they possess, we don't know the right word for this. Earlier in verse 16, sick people were coming to the Lord Jesus, and they weren't always the same kind. Sometimes there were sick people, and then sometimes there were sick people who were demonized. So if you had somebody going through seizures at that time, being blind or being mute or being deaf, you didn't know. Sometimes the Gospels will point out, and it was because of a demon. Other times we don't know. So some are demonized. And then another point. Let me go through a few bullet points of what they do. Demons deceive. Well, they cause harm. Matthew 12, verse 22 says. Mark 5, verse 1 to 20, they cause harm. And from Luke 22, they can prompt someone to do evil, like Judas in Luke 22. He prompted Judas to do evil. Demons can perform signs to deceive humans. Revelation 16, verse 14. Demons can disguise themselves as angels of light or servants of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Demons blind the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4. Demons promote false doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And one more thing. If you think the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh, he calls it a messenger of Satan. There's this sense that demons torment believers. I don't think that's irrelevant today. Demons torment believers. So maybe it's a good time to remind you now because we're elevating and talking about the devil and demons and this is dangerous to do because demons are not the opposite of God in terms of power and strength. Demons are actually low like angels. And angels are messengers. One thing is, demons are fallen angels. 
And if you think about them as messengers, they're no longer working as messengers of God for the sake of the elect. Instead, they're running a messaging service for Satan. They're running it for the prince of demons. And Satan's name is the accuser. So let me remind you of Satan in the book of Job, the Old Testament book of Job, and how Satan accuses God's people and the righteous man, Job. You are no good. You ever had that thought cross your mind? You do nothing good. You are no good. You're good for nothing. You ever have thoughts, maybe dreams that you never ask for? Horrible thoughts crossing your mind. And I say all this background information that these demons torment believers today. All this background information to say that Jesus and his disciples have come to the side of the lake where it is Satan's territory. And the demons have taken over two men. You see the level of this destruction. They have so demonized these two men that when these two men speak, you cannot tell who's talking. Is it you or your demon? And these men speak, and they're shouting out. They're crying out, our text says. And these men among the tombs, you notice the Jews are going to catch this. This is tombs. No one's allowed to be around dead people. Unclean territory. These demons are around the tombs, and they are so dangerous, they're so fierce, that no one could pass that way. Enemy territory. And yet, what is coming out of their mouths? What kind of confession, what kind of truth is coming in this land of darkness? They're screaming, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? I want you to hear those words. What have you come to to do with us, O Son of God, moments after that raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, after that huge storm had just died down, and these disciples are asking themselves, what sort of man is this who can calm the wind and the waves? And the demons have the answer. He's the Son of God. And we tremble. It's like, the, like Jesus and his disciples have gotten out of the boat on the enemy's side and it's a different kind of storm. It's a whirlwind of evil spirits, of demons, of devils. And Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, don't forget, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So here's the spiritual storm and the sound, the noise of a tornado in that storm. The, the message you're hearing is, what have you to do with us, you Son of God? We have nothing in common. We hate you. And these are enemies who have met the king, 
they know the truth and they're admitting it. That's what a confession is. You're, you're admitting the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, just like you've heard in James chapter 2, verse 19, they believe God is one, even the demons do, and they tremble with fear. They are orthodox, straight-shooting, Bible-believing, truth-admitting, spiritual beings, but they don't worship God. They don't humble themselves before God. And I warn you about this. Many people do this today. They know the truth. Christians even know this truth. You have all the right answers. Our first point is you might have a confession that's true. Jesus has ultimate authority. You might recognize that. That He is the Son of God. You might recognize that. But look at where this is headed. If you do not bow before the Lord Jesus. So our second point. What's the results? Let's look at the consequence of the demons. Where is this going? Because we get a fast forward. End of times sample. What comes of what they believe? What's the result of believing that Jesus is a son of God. But not worshipping him. Not thanking him. Not bowing. Well, we've just heard the demons cry out, what have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? That Jesus would do what? Jesus would torment someone? Something? Is this in your theology textbook? Have you ever come across that Jesus might torment someone? Because we live in a world where most theology, most beliefs about God does not include a chapter, a title, even a line about Jesus tormenting. That Jesus would torment. Uh, Luke uses the word destroy. One day, God will really scare the demons. And it's not too often we face it that bluntly in the Bible. See, a lot of people would want us to believe that Jesus is soft, cuddly, fluffy. And maybe a Jesus that you can make him out to be anything you want him to be. It's kind of what's happening in our culture. So you look at what happens next, the consequence. What's the result we have a mini version of Judgment Day. So here's Matthew. He's pointing to this herd of pigs. The Bible translation says swine. Mark will mention there's 2,000 unclean animals, these pigs. Every Jew knows they're unclean. And this is the dark side of the land of Israel with the Gentiles. And they can grow their pigs and they can sell them. And they have a market for that. These demons beg for a place to go. I wish I knew what that meant. You read some things, you're like, what does that mean? I take it that these demons are like angels and they hate to be out of a job. If they're messaging, they've got to be in somebody doing something. 
And so they, instead of being sent to the abyss or to hell, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Peter 2 verse 4, Jude chapter 6, they were just asking for a little bit of relief from the Lord Jesus. Can you send us to the pigs? And that's helpful for us because we can see what happens what were the demons intending to do? What was the whole purpose of the demons? Why did they enter the pigs? The consequence. What's the demon control leading toward? It's all fast forward now. You see them in the split second. They're all headed downhill into the lake of fire. It's like a whole bunch of people. There's a whole crowd effect. They're all rushing down together. No one really thinking why this is happening. Nobody asking questions. And the demons have a whole 2,000 pigs go down the hill. And Satan has brought them to destruction. This is fast forward, watching what's Judgment Day like. And from this, from this event, you see Jesus Christ is king. And what do kings do? They decide. Kings judge. This is right and this is wrong. My word, it stands. You, you know this is about my word and my authority, right? We don't like tyrants. No one likes dictators, but look at this king. The kingdom of heaven, he so completely and so quickly wipes out his enemies. Oh, what about those animals? I'm sure some of you got to be thinking about those 2,000 pigs. What a waste of bacon. And Jesus has your attention, right? Look over there. On the one hand, you have death and destruction. 2,000 some odd pigs. And on the other hand, you're looking and you see two men who are now free. They are alive. Heaven has touched down on that side of the Sea of Galilee, of the lake, and the Gospels are saying it like this, seated and clothed and in their right mind. Look at this side. Jesus has had compassion on two men. These two who were so helpless, so self-destructive, so controlled by hell. Jesus came to free them. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. You've heard about the kingdom of Christ. Here it is. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So you have here a glimpse of judgment day. Bringing heaven and hell on the same day. At least you have a glimpse of it. Heaven where people are restored and in their right mind. They're back to normal and eternal life. There's righteousness first. The kingdom of heaven is first. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And hell. Satan with his demons destroyed and at least completely taken out of the picture. That's the result of this miracle. That's, that's the result. The consequence of Jesus Christ's ultimate authority 
He's just touched down on the side of darkness. Do you like this? How's it going so far? Not everyone likes this. It threatens those who are against the king. And now we're at our third point, the choice. Oh, how I wish this story ended on a good note. How this miracle, I I wish it had this feel good, they lived happily ever after. But it doesn't. Verses 33 and 34, you look at your Bible there. And those who kept the pigs, they fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to stay. Wait, what does it say? It doesn't say stay. They begged him to depart from their region. And these swine herds, you know, they're like shepherds, but they take care of pigs. They came to the city and told everything. And notice, it, it, they're also reporting the good news. They're like, yeah, yeah, we, the two good men, they're, they're back in good health. Too bad, verse 34 does not say, they came to meet Jesus and they begged him to stay with them. The city chooses darkness instead. They choose life without Jesus Christ. That's the choice they made. And to see what's going on, I think we need to know demons never repent. We never hear in the scriptures about demons being saved. Demons never ask to be saved. And I say that because there's something of an expectation that we have. It grows around us in the culture too. A sense of entitlement towards salvation. Like, salvation better happen. Why wouldn't God save everyone? Why does this hell thing have to happen? But now we're looking at the city of darkness. And you see in a way this whole city is deciding to run down the hillside after the pigs and to drown in that lake of fire. Well, not a lake of fire, but it's a sea. They reject Jesus, and they do it even given the facts, given the truth. They're told specifically what had happened to the demon-possessed men, and they, they should have been excited. They're like, thanks, but no thanks. Here's the point that Jesus is getting across. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him and He is King. Even more powerful than all demons. And they know it. And to those people who who knew a lot more about kings and kingdoms than we do, we're about democracy. We like to choose our leaders. They were used to kings. And they would inherit kings, one after the other. Dynasties. And they were used to kings coming in and taking over. And the bottom line is if if you are showing allegiance, you get to live. But if you are going to resist the ruler or the king, you knew that you would be destroyed. And here is King Jesus. 
And the choice is, do you follow King Jesus or not? Are you going to join forces against King Jesus as the demons have? And here is, no, we will not have His government. We will not have His kingdom. That's what the city of the Gadarenes or the Gergesene, Gadara, they say, be on your way. But let's think about why they might do this. I don't think you have to dig in very deep. You just look in your own heart why you might do this. You don't have to be a super Bible-studying theologian to figure out why. It's about who's in control. Because if you're after jobs, money, power, sex, you have figured it out that you can find your happiness in those dark places. Demons have the message that jobs, money, power, all of it, they are the highest authority and they will deliver it. This is what you live for. And you have found that you can have a normal life. Compared to other people, you're pretty normal, right? And this city has made peace with the devil with the challenges they've faced. They've made peace with demons. You know, they've kind of juggled, and they've gotten this balance that the demonized ones, oh, you guys can live over there in the tombs. They had the kingdom that they're happy with. Why should they seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness? You know how you try to struggle. To have a balance between sin and righteousness. And you're good with that, right? Enter Jesus. As the king approaches, notice everything shifts. What does it cost? What has just happened? Everything unclean, that's what it's cost. Demons and pigs and death. And that's the point here. Jesus Christ has ultimate authority. That means everything unclean must go. Or, Jesus Christ must go. Which is it? That's the choice. Everything unclean must go. Or you ask Jesus to stay away. He must go. And you know the presence of Jesus. If you rejoice in being close to Him, it's so rewarding to be close to the Lord Jesus. Or on the other hand, you could be so threatened when you are close to Him. You ever feel uncertain when somebody godly who reminds you of Jesus is close to you? People who love the Lord Jesus and you're like, uh, I... I, I got places to go. See you later. I think we've been reminded of the importance of being together with godly people, especially with COVID. We've been reminded of the importance of physical presence in person with believers. It's the closest expression of Jesus physically among us. I guess also you think about the Lord's Supper for a minute there, the expression of Jesus Christ with us. But being in the same room with fellow Christians 
threatens your dark side. It's the most threatening to evil and to uncleanness in your life. Being in the same room with God's people makes you conscious of all that's unclean, of all that's unholy, unholy. And that, you, you know what it's like to feel uncomfortable, right? How easily you can gravitate to online worship services. How easily you can become casual and lazy. Our dark side prefers Jesus at a distance. And our dark side prefers Jesus' people, God's kingdom, at a distance. Fellowship. Being with God's people. Encouraging one another. Isn't that your theme for the home visit year? Encourage one another. Choose to be with sincere followers of Christ Jesus. And be in His Word. You know your dark side hates the Word of God. You know why it's so hard to commit to reading the Scriptures regularly? Why devotions are almost impossible to commit to? And, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual thong, songs? That's not easy, is it? That's confronting the dark side. The point is, you have so many opportunities, so many choices to have Christ Jesus close to you, or to ask Him to move on. And with Him near, it means joy and righteousness and heaven and eternal life. It means life to your soul. A new identity. And don't get the impression that this is a one-time choice. You can't just fill this box in with a check mark. This is about allegiance to the King who speaks. Who is your king? The demons know the right answer to that question. And they tremble. And it's threatening to him. But who is your king? Do you remember? He symbolized it at baptism. He says, you are mine. Is he the king you rejoice in? That you thank and praise. Because He's the King who makes things right again. That's what we see. Those two who have been freed from demonization. And He gets them to sit down. And maybe you know something of this. He gets you to sit down clothed and in your right mind. He is the King who saves. Congregation, this is your King. With all authority. Rejoice in Him. Praise Him. Thank Him. Amen.